Job ready? Employer says yes. This programme is presented by Eduvate, education and innovation. In today's programme, number 20, Not Out, we examine the different earnings projections depending on whether you go to university or not. We look at some dodgy practices as universities advertise themselves to would-be students. And we recount the heartfelt plea of a long-haul trucker who fears he will lose his job to robots. It's that time of year again. No, not Christmas, but the big choice. University or not. Millions of young people in the US and the UK are in the process of applying to university or college in time for a 2018 start, and their choices can make huge difference to future earnings. Is it worth going on to even more education? The perspective from the UK, and I guess for the US, is probably the same. For most university graduates, having a degree pays. For women, more than men. Over the course of a lifetime, estimates suggest women can expect to earn about £250,000 more, $400,000, if they have a degree, while the figures for men is less, roughly £170,000 for men, $300,000. In England, Higher tuition fees mean that on average students graduate with debts of more than £50,000, much, much more than their counterparts in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, who don't pay fees. And a bit less than in the US, where tuition fees can be much higher. But repayments of the student loan debt are only one of the many factors which affect how much money graduates will have in their pockets in years to come. Another one is the university you went to. Different universities provide the likelihood of different income levels. Which attract the highest? Five years after graduation, average annual earnings for students who were taught at the London School of Economics, Imperial College London and the University of Oxford are more than £40,000 a year. London School of Economics, now that's an interesting case because as we reported in a previous podcast, it does badly in student satisfaction studies, but students emerging from there, still earning big bucks. Graduates of the 24 Russell Group universities, that's the research universities, earn an average of 33500 after five years, about 40% more than those who studied at other universities. And at the other end of the scale, there are several institutions, many of them dance drama colleges, where average earnings after five years are closer to £50,000. Of course, and importantly, many of the differences here are not down to the universities themselves. They have different average earnings, partly because students aren't all the same. They have different abilities, interests, and so on. Entrance to Oxford, London School of Economics, Russell Group Universities start their degrees on average with better exit exam grades from secondary school, another important factor. So too is subject choice. 
The big decision about what to study at university can be very important for future earnings. Five years after graduation, the income gap between students who studied the subjects that attract the highest and lowest salaries can be considerable. Graduates of medicine, dentistry can earn an average of 46700 while those who studied economics take home £40,000 a year. These figures are about double the average wage of creative arts, agriculture and mass communication. Crucially, these differences are smaller but remain significant even when students with similar A-level grades are compared. For example, students of law, economics and management subjects at the London School of Economics do extremely well, with 10% of male graduates earning more than £300,000 a year by the time they are in their early 30s. Interestingly, a number of factors influence graduate earnings long before they get as far as choosing which course to study or which university to go to. In particular, the reality is male graduates earn more than female graduates. The gap can already be seen only one year after graduation when men earn an average of £1,500 more than women a year after graduation. After five years, the gap has increased to £3,500 and this is likely to continue with age. But it should be noted too that this gap is less than half that experienced by non-graduates. Some, but by no means all of this difference, can be explained by differences in subject choices, with women apparently more likely to choose courses with low earnings potential. For example, creative arts, nursing, psychology, social science, all have far more female than male students, while the opposite is true for architecture, computing and engineering. Can all of these differences be explained by personal choice? Ignoring issues of glass ceilings and other forms of gender discrimination? We at Eduvate think not. Our thanks to Dr Jack Britton and the BBC for this research. As if choosing whether to go to university or not was not a difficult enough decision, naughty, naughty universities have been making marketing claims which could be misleading. And so the advertising watchdog has told six UK universities to take down misleading marketing claims. Here is the rogues gallery. Leicester, East Anglia, Strathclyde, Falmouth, Teesside and the University of the West London. They have all had complaints upheld against them. The Advertising Standards Authority is warning against exaggerated claims made to attract students. Chief Executive Guy Parker says students need good evidence when making such a big financial commitment. Misleading would-be students is not only unfair, it can also lead them to make choices that aren't right for them, said Mr Parker. Damn right, say we at Eduvate. And so for the first time, universities are going to be issued with guidance on avoiding misleading information. Oh, that's bound to terrify them then. Nick Hillman, director of the Higher Education Policy Institute, said that intensifying competition between universities now has a touch of the Wild West about it. Universities should be careful about their claims, he says, which need to be robust, truthful, 
and useful. But, he says, it's a good thing that they are telling potential applicants more than they used to in the past. Hundreds of thousands of young people are currently deciding their options for applications for courses next autumn, and the Advertising Standards Authority says university trying to recruit students have to be able to objectively prove the claims they are making about their high status. The watchdog wants to stop unjustified claims and offer a clearer explanation of achievement in rankings and league tables. Here are the complaints. Complaints were upheld against six universities. Falmouth University has been told to stop describing itself as the UK's number one arts university or the UK's number one creative university. Teesside University had a complaint upheld for saying it was the top university in England for long-term graduate prospects. University of East Anglia has been told not to use the claim top five for student satisfaction. University of Leicester must stop claiming to be a top 1% world university. The University of Strathclyde has been told to change the claim we're ranked number one in the UK for physics. And the University of West London must stop claiming to be London's top modern university and one of the top 10 in the UK. Many of the challenges from the watchdog have been about how information from rankings or comparison tables have been presented. If you're making claims about your national or global ranking, student satisfaction or graduate prospects, make sure you practice what you teach by backing up your claims with good evidence, said the head of the watchdog, Mr. Parker. The universities involved have argued that they have put forward accurate information, but there could be greater clarification, they said. Charles Heyman, who's a higher education communications advisor, has said rankings could exaggerate very marginal differences between individual universities. It's tempting for marketing teams to push the boundaries as far as they can go and emphasise them. At some point, most universities will be in the top 10 or 25 for something or other. A spokesman for Universities UK said, with a proliferation of university rankings data and awards now in existence, there is a need for clearer guidelines for universities and how they use this in a way which is clearly understood by students. And finally, an excerpt from a book by Finn Murphy, an American long-haul trucker and author of The Long Haul, A Trucker's Tales of Life on the Road. I'd been driving big trucks since shortly after my 21st birthday in 1980, and I've always figured I'd be able to stay on the road until retirement. Now I'm not so sure. Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Daimler, Tesla, Uber, Ford and Toyota are all investing billions of dollars in driverless vehicles. I'm sure about one thing, though. Driverless trucks will be here before driverless cars, because... That's where the early money is going to be made, with some of the world's most aggressive and best capitalised companies racing to be first with a viable driverless vehicle. I don't give myself very good odds on choosing when to hang up my keys. The only humans left in a modern supply chain are truck drivers. 
Today's cutting-edge warehouses buzz with automated forklifts and robots that load and unload trucks while drivers stand around sipping coffee, getting paychecks and health insurance. That's the kind of thing that drives corporate finance types crazy. The best option? Eliminate drivers. I understand that global industry is constantly being reinvented to reduce inefficiencies. New technologies will not be stopped, because if we don't do it here, they'll do it everywhere, from Singapore, Shanghai, Dusseldorf, and we'll all be left behind. I also understand that human error is responsible for almost all vehicle accidents. About 1.25 million people worldwide are killed on roadways every year, including 40,000 in the US. I've no doubt that when the technology is perfected and critical mass is achieved, those millions of deaths will be reduced to a trickle. But what's the end game with all this technological innovation? In the early 19th century, weavers went on strike to protest the power loom in British textile factories, and they were called Luddites. A cave artist in Chauvet might have emerged after a day of drawing 35,000 years ago to see someone scratching on sheepskin with charcoal. This new technology, our artist would surely have groused, is going to ruin our culture. This question of where we're going with technology has been steamrollered by the pace of innovation. Long past time we figured this out. For drivers like me, driverless trucks are the parlum and the sheepskin. There are about 3 million of us in the US alone, 600,000 in the UK, and we will soon be extraneous, roadkill, so to speak, except we won't be dead. That makes us, as one driver said, disposable people. Too bad for us, you might think, we're on the wrong side of history. Maybe so, but guess what? You're next. When automation starts displacing lawyers, accountants, bankers, then we might see some pushback about the social costs of technology. So long as there's only truckers and factory workers getting sacked, well, there's always Walmart, McDonald's, food stamps. What we want is to work and support our families. We're citizens, we coach soccer, go to parents' night at school, pay our taxes. Who is taking responsibility for the human cost runaway technology is causing? Not the companies reaping enormous benefits, nor the fleet owners, not the software engineers, not governments. Look, I'm not at all confused by the general surge in populism we're seeing. The tale of technology is wagging the dog of the social contract, leaving millions of citizens in penury. Even the economist, no foe of innovation, admits that the US and the West have fallen far short in addressing the problem of displaced workers. Something needs to change. We can start by accepting that both the private and public sectors have a responsibility to manage the human side of technological disruption. The latest predictions suggest automation will affect one in five jobs across the UK, possibly more than the US. We echo the need to manage the human side. And as always at Eduvate, we emphasise the need to work with young people to plan for this forthcoming displacement. You'll find us online at eduvate.biz. Job ready. Employer says yes.